Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Take a chance on us. It's another Curzon Film Podcast. I'm Jake Cunningham, and this week we're talking about the follow-up to the smash hit Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia, here we go again. Now, just one look across the podcast studio table, and I can hear a bell ring. Opposite me, we've got film writer and one of Park Circus Film's finest people, Alice Bayman. Good morning. Lovely to have you here. Thank you. And she's from Film 4, the reviews editor of One Woman with a View, and she's back on this podcast for the second week in a row. Truly a super trooper. It's Steph Watts. Hello. So uh, this is Old Parker's follow-up to Villa de Lloyd's Mamma Mia. Uh, I'm surprised it's taken 10 years to get here. Yeah, very surprised. It feels like The Incredibles in terms of it's taken this long, but it's well worth the hype, I think. Do you think it's been that um, they refuse to make one until they know the time is right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Who knows? Honing it. For ten years, they just had to nail the story first yeah. before anyone really. All them to complicated it. plot narratives, mm. all the all the fathers, you know, it does take Richard Curtis ten years to to write this film. So, yeah. yeah, well, it is interesting that in the in the age of franchises being planned out ten years in advance and people gambling on sequels and prequels before even a first film was released, the fact that the first Mamma Mia came out in two thousand and eight, it was on a fifty million budget and it made over five hundred. The fact that it has actually taken 10 years to end up with a sequel is really surprising. So the plot of the sequel follows mostly young Donna, played by Lily James, Donna being the Meryl Streep character from the first one, and her daughter Sophie in the present day. And uh, in the absence of her mother, Sophie is launching a revamped version of the Greek hotel we saw in the first film. Uh, And as she prepares, we cut back to the 70s to see Donna and are told the story of how she fell in love with the island, three different handsome young men, and the greatest love of her life, her daughter. Now, guys, I'm ashamed to admit it. I only saw the first Mamma Mia on Sunday. Shame. It, I, it hasn't been in my life for very long. I know for Steph, this is an important film for you, Take, taken around on musical tours. Oh, why? Why did you bring that up? <laughs> yeah. Perhaps the nerdiest moment of my life. But yeah. Um, yeah, I used to play saxophone in my college band. And we went on music tour to Italy and played Mamma Mia on the coach. Everyone took a different role and sang along. It was great. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been a big... I've watched this film so many times. Um, Pick a number out of thin air. Oh, I don't know. Probably, like, 
between 10 and 20 times wow. since it's come out. Um, okay. It's just one of those, like, whenever it's on, you just watch it. Whenever you're, like, with your friends, you watch it. Mm. Whenever, like, you're home with your mum and you need something to watch, it's Mamma Mia. There's almost an abbaresque quality to those words. Whenever you're home <laughs> and you're with your mum, you need something to watch. Ali, what about you? When, uh... Yeah, I was kind of, as a kid, I always remember... My nana, my Scottish nana, she'd always play the ABBA Greatest Hits on vinyl. And right. it was like my first interaction with vinyl. So I was always had this like level of vintageness to ABBA. And then growing up in a family of women, like going to see the first one was an absolute onslaught. Like it was just <laughs> carnage in the house. Um, so yeah, it's always been there. And I kind of agree with Steph. It feels like one of the films that whenever it's on, you kind of just go with it. It's there. It's like obviously similar to this one, not much for the plot, but you're not really there for the plot. You're there for the big the big numbers and yeah. the silly costumes. Well, let's recap that plot. So the first one um, mostly follows Meryl Streep's character, Donna, um, and Sophie, played by Amanda Seyfried. Sophie invites three men to this island for her wedding, um, and one of those three men is her father. And th- that's really it. And then in between, there's ABBA songs. And um, yeah, I was texting Steph when I was watching this for the first time because I didn't fully appreciate how wild it is. Uh, it's kind of just your standard musical fare for a bit. Uh, at the very beginning, it's a bit Disney, kind of three young women dancing around trees, singing um, Honey, Honey. Um, mm. yeah, that's kind of what I was expecting. And then in by about the 10-minute mark, it drops into Money, Money, Money. You've got Meryl on the front of a speedboat, <laughs> uh, Julie Waters on a quad bike behind uh, helicopter shots. And that's when I was realised I was I'm into this, like, if they're willing to go that mad with it. And how did we react then to here we go again? Did it did it top that madness? Did it top? Uh, did it live up to that ten years of expectation? I don't know. I think what's so great about the first one is all these kind of actors joining in who you wouldn't really think would do something like that. Mm. So yeah, I mean like Meryl Streep, Pierce Brosnan, Colin Firth. Um, yeah, it's these kind of middle-aged actors dancing around a Greek island and then in the second one you I think I was kind of looking forward to just seeing more of that but obviously the prequel plot you're kind of going back in time you have you go back to the kind of Disney-esque like young actors dancing around but you do have some amazing kind of set pieces and set musical scenes yeah I think that's the big difference for me is that I think the directorial craft in Here We Go Again is I think a lot more engaging and a lot more fun. He's uh, taken away any shackles that might be there. Um, I know Phila Deloitte, who directed Mummy, came from a theatre background and she directed the stage show. And I think it ultimately means, even though the first one is a lot of fun, it is also in a way quite regimented. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the camera choices are almost not fully committed to like there's a lot of just spinning around for the sake of movement because we're in a film and we're not on stage so what can we do differently um whereas old parker with here we go again feels a bit more in sync with music and sound and editing uh it sounds really silly but uh when all like sound and vision and everything is working together for me that that right whatever it might be it gives me a shiver but like when something is just working so well and during <laughs> During the Waterloo scene in the new one and during the Dancing Queen sequence, I had that stupid shiver of everything coming together. 
Um, and I didn't think I'd say that about a Mamma Mia film. <laughs> yeah, it's that motion is emotion. Yeah. That, like, try old saying of cinema. But I definitely agree with you. It's got a lot more, you know, cinematic panache, if you want to say. Like, mm-hmm. Robert Yeoman, the guy who does Wes Anderson's films, shot this. And you can definitely feel it because there's a scene where it's uh, Amanda Seyfried and Dominic Cooper. They're, like, having a an argument through the power of musicals and the camera's like spinning around this yes. this mirror and I was like, whoa, hold on a minute here. This is this is like, you know, Mamma Mia too. Here we go yeah. again and using this editing technique and and yeah, even in the production design of it, like you've got obviously the big reunion scene where um Stella Scarsard, Colin Firth come back to the island and she sees like mass helicopter shots. And then also the sheer amount of extras you've got mm-hmm. in this film is ridiculous like it's it's a sequel can always go bigger and better but i think with the nature of mamma mia how it's just as we've said it's just like crazy stupid fun kind of suits this level of of one like turning it up to 11 yes very much so and so let's dive in to a bit more of here we go again and how it begins so the first big song is when i kiss the teacher which is not an abba song i knew and uh, the fact that that is your big opening number. Amanda Seyfried does have a little bit beforehand, but I would say this is your your proper opener. Um, and I think that's it's kind of laying its cards out on the table, the film there, by making its big open a song that you don't know. And I'm curious how you guys were expecting and then how you reacted to the music in this film. Because when I was watching the first one, it got to the end and I thought, that was great. But they've used up every banger. <laughs> I, I can think, is it maybe Waterloo is the one that's missing? Uh, I couldn't think of anything else. So what on earth are they going to do in the sequel when they've already used everything up? How, how did you guys react to that? I think the the teacher thing, it's funny with the, the Mamma Mia stuff because even though the songs are ABBA, they kind of work in the context of the film, which is mm. strange. And obviously it's like played up as this Oxford graduation, which is very much... Like, yeah, you can tell the production design is all there, but, like, yeah, as you say, aesthetically and the way it just comes out with the bang, mm. it's just, it kind of does work in a in a strange sense, even though you're not as, you know, like... You can't the, sing along yeah, to you it, can't. you can't I'm sure there along, are some people who can, yeah. but mm. but overall, it's not that level of of just hell for leather going for abbaness. Yeah. There's a uh, level of subtle, not subtlety, but like just more emotion to these new songs which yeah. I feel come into it and this is where I think the direction's really important for the film that uh, if you've got something, something a song that everyone knows um, say the, the winner takes it all from the first film which is Meryl standing on a cliff and it's effectively just film performance there's not much else going on there uh, the thing that's driving it is her uh, I wasn't sold on the scene but I know a lot of people would say like it's raw emotion and you don't need anything else because you've got Meryl I'm not going to take that Um, it just looks like they ran out of money Uh, but you go with uh, Kiss the Teacher this is Lily James uh, playing the young Donna and Jessica Keenan Wynn who is the young Tanya that's the American Christine Baranski's character and you've got Alexa Davis as young Rosie who is uh, the younger Julie Waters character and they're introduced in this, this opening song and I think it's because Ol Parker is really pushing every aspect of the film, filmmaking process at this point. He's really driving in crazy costumes. Like, there's some camera work that's really impressive. There's a moment where 
they're graduating school and then they run out of the school and they all get on their bikes and cycle down to the river. And there's a dolly shot that runs down the side of the bike rack just as all of the bikes get taken out and it's it's completely choreographed and cut to the music. And it didn't need to be there. You could have just done an, an aerial shot, show people taking their bikes out. But it's just putting in that extra effort to bring that dynamism and bring the energy up because you know everyone in the audience isn't quite going to be there for this song just yet. And I think that runs across the whole film, that he's willing to put in that extra effort to really bring them and make them alive rather than just making film performance pieces. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think because as well you've got this kind of new aspect to it where you're kind of leaving the island and you've got a whole new set of characters. So Lily James instead of Meryl Streep, it needs to draw you in. It needs to do something that the first one didn't. Um, And I think as well, because it's not based on the stage show, there's so much more freedom to just Mm. do it as a film, not as a kind of adaptation of a show that's already running. Yeah. Um, So yeah, he's got a lot, I feel like a lot more freedom, probably a lot more pressure to actually make it work and make it make you feel the kind of joy that you get Mm. out of the first one from just recognizing all the big ABBA songs yeah yeah so in this one you've got kind of new songs new characters and a new kind of direction but you've got so much more kind of cinema technique that's it yeah it it feels like he's actually playing with the the form a lot more which Mm. I think does go back to Phil Adelot as a theatre director Primarily, I, I mean, not that she, she's made good films, but um, I think this feels someone who's having a, and also having a bit more fun with it. I think if you adapted the stage play and then you're making the film, you might be a bit precious with it. This guy's got no real connection to it, and I think is a bit more content to rip it apart. <laughs> and I think it's it's a bit more self-aware. In that first one, there was still only you'd six years since Brosnan had done Die Another Day. People were still not sure what Brosnan was at that point in time and it actually made that first one quite awkward and uh, he kind of got slammed for it whereas now I think everyone's on the side of Brosnan and well, you're yeah. actually you're you're going into it because he is a bit rubbish and it is a bit like your uncle drunk at a wedding singing <laughs> but it's quite nice yeah. yeah, yeah, no. At the at the screen I was at last night, um, obviously there was the kind of maybe purposely, who knows, giving him a a more softer song to sing with only a few seconds, really, mm. when you think about the grand scheme of things. But yeah, there was a guy who was like kind of laughing, but the rest you could kind of feel it. Like I think 
throughout that whole film, you are laughing at uh, Mamma Mia, you are laughing at Brosnan, but then, strangely, time has been fortuitous to, like, that on-screen relationship between him yeah. and Mel Street. Weirdly, it, Brosnan kind of, yeah, he's just, he, he feels comfortable in this film, whereas, as you said, the first one is Drunk Uncle at a Well, that's singer. it. I think in that first one, all like all the chaps are not quite sure what their role mm. is, how this is going to be reacted to, and they're maybe trying to shackle off some uh, like celebrity identities that they might have, or for Skarsgård, maybe take his career into a different direction of being more of a fun guy uh, whereas Firth Skarsgård and Brosnan in this just look like they're happy to be there uh, which maybe like maybe doesn't benefit performances uh, but in a weird kind of Richard Linklatery way sometimes it's nice to just watch people have a nice time and that that is this how do we how do we feel about the the young versions of those characters because those are the I think the big introductions in this one uh, so you've got Jeremy Irvine as young Sam. Uh, so Jeremy Irvine, people might know from Warhorse. Uh, you've got Hugh Skinner as young Harry, who is the young Colin Firth. And now that is, he is Fleabag's kind of posh boyfriend in Fleabag, but he's also Laura Dern's assistant in The Last Jedi. And finally, <laughs> you've got uh, Josh Dillon as young Bill, who is the Stellan Skarsgård character. What do we think of these chaps? Did they do a good job? If they they had to stand in the shadows of great men, I uh, think um, the one who played uh, young Colin Firth, young Harry. Yes, yes. Oh, Firth <laughs> Philip. With his just little very leather Firth. jacket that's yeah. like a bit too small. Thought, and his um, t-shirt's a little bit too short. Yeah, for him kind of as broke well. my heart. Like yeah. he was, he was like the new generation of Richard Curtis, like <laughs> bumbling <laughs> yeah. nice totally. idiot. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. Big fan of him. I'm not too sure about the other two. I don't... Because there was, like, so much going... Because you mm. had the old versions and the young versions. There wasn't much screen time no. for all of them. So I don't think you really got to That's judge how good each of them were. Between the two timelines and trying to fit in about 18 songs, uh, your plot's not long here. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you're, I think Hugh Skinner is the standout for me. Yeah. I think he's naturally really funny. He's playing off of a kind of character that he's built in other shows of that uh, kind of Tim Tim, nice but dim. But he, he handles it really well. And, and he's got some pipes, yeah? Mm. Yeah, and he's that Waterloo scene. I think throughout the whole, yeah, balancing 18 songs and all this plot and flash forwards, I think that's a moment that stands out looking back at it just mm. for its... Like absurdity of actually being in Paris and like using Waterloo, like well, legitimately, like, yeah. you know. I think this is the best scene in the film. I think Waterloo sequence is proper. I tweeted about this afterwards. It's legitimately one of the best scenes of the year. It's so well put together. Uh, the audacity of it to just write in that a character happens to be in Paris because you know that you couldn't figure out how to do Waterloo in the first <laughs> film, but this is some way of doing it. And it's... It, I think it benefits from not really being tied to much plot. Mm. Uh, the fact that they don't have to be super emotional about Meryl or the island or who's in love with who, that it is just, it's in a Parisian restaurant and Hugh Skinner wants to spend the night with Lily James and that is the battle in front of him. That is his Waterloo. And you spend the next four minutes uh, charging through this battle, through this incredible dance scene in this French restaurant. And it's brilliant. You've got sliding across bars. You've got uh, waiters doing backflips. You've got them appearing under dinner trays and looking. It's very seventies. Uh, you've got like it's absolutely wonderful. I, 
I, I was beaming through that. I just love as well when um, the whole surrounding cast just breaks out into song mm. and dance. That's mm. just... You can only do that in like in a musical film yeah. where it's just like everybody knows what's going on. Yeah, I always love looking at the extras whilst the scene's unfolding just to just to see their expression of sheer joy and <laughs> and just the choreography of it all because yeah, that water we've seen there is imp- and they don't use a lady in a wheelchair as well to yeah. spin her yeah. around, which is really impressive as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the chore- as I said, the extras and the choreography is like legit on point, which is. Which is refreshing in a musical. Yeah. Um, I think the other standout song, for me anyway, is Dancing Queen. Yeah. yeah. You've raised your fist there, Steph. <laughs> raised Dancing two. Queen. Well, they had Dancing Queen in the first one, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. And they did the same kind of thing where they all run down to the harbour. Mm. But this time it's kind of two, it's like boats coming in, yeah. them yeah. going down to the yeah, harbour. Was... It's just bigger yeah. and, yeah, so <laughs> yeah. joyful. Yeah. 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 And you've got uh, Stellan Skarsgård and Colin Firth doing King of the World yeah. Titanic on the front of a super yacht, um, which is worth the ticket price alone, yeah. I think. Um, uh, before we go, I think we've got time to talk about one more scene, which has to be Fernando, the moment we've all been waiting for. Share uh, Andy Garcia together on screen singing did we all explode? <laughs> just fantastic. Yeah, I exploded before that with Andy Garcia just chilling as this like suave little kind of Greek guy. I don't know yes, what he is. Which but... actually draws me into the strangest thing about the film, which uh, I couldn't believe. Like the audacity of it that they basically in multiple scenes have an extra dressed as Andy Garcia. That's just walking around, what? and in one in one scene they even go past his face, and he's got the same costume. He's got a beard. He's got the hat. And it's like obviously they only had a certain amount of days yeah. of Andy Garcia. They mm-hmm. know that maybe the primary audience of this film doesn't really care. <laughs> and you just glide past a chap with a beard and the same clothes. They'll think, oh, so that's the hotel manager from the other scenes. Uh, it's not. It's just a random extra. And he appears in multiple scenes. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, uh, yes, Fernando, played by Andy Garcia. We only learn his name right at the end just for this one joke. Uh, <laughs> And in that moment, he duets with Cher, who I know has been across all the advertising on this. Really, she is in, what, seven minutes of screen time tops. But she's great. She arrives at the end to enjoy the party in the kind of sense of the film and the story. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, just fantastic. Like seeing Cher step out of a helicopter on a Greek island to then sing Fernando. Mm. Just, yeah. And the writers actually give her some like, one-liners mm. like they just fire like the mm. fireworks at the end they just yeah, yeah fly, fly off share song mm. yeah absolutely brilliant stuff mm. um yeah there's i think that goes i think this this film knows its value and that value is the ability to make fireworks explode in the shape of a heart yeah. <laughs> and you know that's how we all felt at the yeah. end of it as well yeah yeah oh, most yeah. definitely yeah I'm, I'm firmly in the camp of mamma mia here we go again and i'll tell you what I'd probably go again. <laughs> what about you two? I th- yeah, I was I was watching it, and before the screen, I heard a, a girl outside. She was like, "Oh, I've already got a ticket again for next Tuesday." Yeah, and like, yeah, if someone says to me, "You've got to go into Mamma Mia right after this," I'm like, "Yeah, sure thing." Yeah, you know, like, yeah, I'm so on board with it. Yeah, but it's not the only film out this week. There's another called uh, "A Prayer Before Dawn," which neither Alistair or I have been lucky enough to see. But Steph, you have have seen it yeah tell us a bit about that one so it's it's actually based on a true story about a guy called billy moore who is a brit abroad in thailand um and ends up getting arrested and sent to a notorious thai prison and he's a boxer 
So he's kind of in the prison trying to survive and also trying to kind of use boxing to kind of help him get through his time in prison. It's it's quite a tough watch. It's um, quite gruelling. Kind of the first kind of night in the prison just makes Shawshank Redemption look like a nice weekend away. Like, um, yeah, so definitely be aware of that, but would really recommend seeing it in a cinema. Um, I think a lot of the, I read a lot of the prisoners acting were real prisoners because they right. shot on location in a Thai prison. Um, and all of them have these amazing prison tattoos, like gang tattoos, just like covering most of their body. And that's kind of in basically every frame. And it's this really gorgeous, like dark green kind of grading on the film. Um, so I think it'd be really good to see on a big screen mm. and really see that kind of the look of it come out. Yeah, yeah. I've heard in in that brawling cell block 99, this is a real physical experience that you're mm. locked into it and it's just grueling the whole way. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It's a really kind of physical film, really like physical performance from Joe Cole. Yes, at the other Joe Cole. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah who people may recognise from the, the nicer episode from the last series of Black Mirror, the yeah. one about yeah. the Tinder app. Uh, he's the chap in that. He's really nice. And I think that's the only thing I've seen him in. And I definitely can't imagine him as a kind of broken boxer in a Thai yeah, prison. He's, he's quite scary. He's quite kind of unhinged. I think he's in Green Room as well. Right. Um, I yeah, can't for a remember moment who or he so. is in that. Yeah, but... I think he's just one of the the, the guys. Yeah. Know, like who's the wrong Yeah. No, the right-ins. Okay. In, in, yeah. yeah. <laughs> who's in the, the legit Green Room. And okay. yeah, he, I think something really bad happens to him in that film. Yeah, that's, that's, maybe that's just yeah. what he's into. Yeah, just, yeah. just uh, likes going through it. Yeah, <laughs> great. Uh, so that's a prayer before dawn, which is also out in cinemas this week, along with Mamma Mia. Um, if you want to stay at home this weekend and watch something, you can check out uh, Mary Shelley, which is just uh, up on Curzon Home Cinema. That's directed by Haifa Al Mansur, the director of Wajda, and we recently put up an interview with her on this very podcast. Uh, there's also Generation Wealth, which is directed by Lauren Greenfield. It's this late-stage capitalist portrait of image-obsessed, narcissistic, and greedy modern America. I can't imagine anyone in that country being like that. Uh, but it played at Sundance, and now it's available on demand through Curzon Home Cinema as well. And uh, also, if you do want to get out to the cinema and maybe do a double bill, Incredibles 2 is still out there, and it's still great. And uh, if you want to listen to our podcast on that, do go back and listen to last week's. We had the producers of the film, uh, Nicole Grindle and John Walker. It was our crossover event with the Cinema podcast. So Dave from that brilliant show came on and sat in our studio and we talked through The Incredibles 2, uh, another sequel that lives up to the hype. Uh, if you've got any thoughts on Mamma Mia, here we go again. We would love to hear them. Email us at podcast at curzon.com and any correspondence we will be reading out on next week's show. Uh, in the meantime, do subscribe to the show if you haven't before. You can do so on iTunes and Acast. Leave us a review or a comment. Uh, rate us out of five. That would be wonderful. And now next week, what will be one of the breakout British films of the year is Apostasy. And Ali, you spoke to the film's director. I did. Daniel Cocker-Teo, not Cocker, whatever I said in the interview uh, <laughs> for the first few seconds. But yeah, no, it's um, it's one to watch. It's going around the UK this week on previews with Daniel there. 
and Molly Wright and a, f- um, a few of the other, a uh, few of the other actresses. So it's it's definitely one to watch out for this week, but then also when it comes out next Friday. Great, and I think we'll hopefully have you back in the studio yes, next week I'm and back. talk through that and and your interview with the director. Yes. There, I'm really looking forward to that one. Uh, in the meantime, keep up with us. Follow Alistair at Alistair Bayman on Twitter, Steph at underscore Steph Watts, and me at at Jake H Cunningham. Until next week, though, it's goodbye from Ali. Goodbye. Goodbye from Steph. Bye. That's goodbye.